0: Welcome to Startup Knockout. I'm your host, Timo Higgs. Today, we've got a treat for you. Emily Kulin from Horizon 37. They do startup and scale-up mentorship and coaching. Now, mentorship in the startup world is becoming almost a necessity. she's going to give us all of her insights on how this is developing across ecosystems. Emily, thanks so much for coming on
1: Startup Knockout. Thanks for having me, Timo.
0: I'm really interested in the startup consulting and mentoring you do, you also do some volunteer work, which is very interesting, which I'd like to get into a little bit later, but maybe you can take us through the two or three main types of work that you do.
1: So what, uh, what we like to do is scale um, companies. So we sort of call ourselves, we're leadership coaches for scale-ups. Um, that being said, we have broad definitions of what we call scale-ups. So we actually work in a few different ways. One of the ways is we work in accelerator programs or incubator programs. So these are typically, maybe a little more early stage startups, um, but with some sort of recognition, um, usually very, very heavy in the innovation and you know new science, new engineering, those spaces. Uh, and we go in and we deliver um, content and strategy and support them. But what we're doing is there's multiple leaders from different companies all in one group. So they're actually a peer situation. That's one way we work. So we'll go in as a sort of facilitator and support all of these different leaders who are working together as part of this year's journey in an incubator or an accelerator. We also work with uh, startups or scale-ups directly, typically with their leadership team as it's scaling. So, um, you know, a lot of founders, they will start off on their own and then they bring in a co-founder and then they come in and sort of start growing. Uh, And that's usually where the leadership problems start happening and or the people or the scaling problems on that side of it. And so we go in and we work directly with those leadership teams. So that's another way. Uh, A third way would be one-on-one coaching that we can do. And that could be the leaders call us themselves and say, hey, hands up. I need a bit of help. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Uh, And other times we're actually brought in by partners or investors. So it could be a VC, a PE, whichever, um, even an angel network who sort of go, you know, we love this leader. We love their product. We love the company. They've got a lot of potential, but they need some support. So those are typically the three ways that I go in and uh, help on these scale-ups. And if I'm a startup,
0: how can I recognize that I might need some of this coaching? Because this, this is a very hard <laughs> thing for people to kind of look inside and say, I, I'm not quite ready for this, particularly with the startup crowd, because we're a very ambitious um, yeah. community and maybe not always the best at uh, looking internally and understanding where the holes are in our skill sets.
1: So really great question. Uh, There are some, a lot of scale up founders that we work with as customers. They're not always first time founders. So some of them have scars and bruises and growing pains from previous uh, ventures, whether they're the founder or just on the leadership team. So they tend to maybe recognize things a little bit faster. Um, The others who maybe don't have that wherewithal yet, and I always say yet because everybody's got the potential. It's usually somebody's telling them. And it could be telling them directly, so advisor group, NEDs, uh, board, investors, team, or it could be they're hearing about it in indirect ways, so turnover rate, or they can't get anybody to come on board, or they can't get investment. So there's a few different ways that people may be aware of it. Uh, in an ideal world, we would work with every founder near the very beginning and be able to give them that structure. And then they can kind of come back to us a little bit like a physiotherapist, you know, get the Crucial problems sorted, and then come back just when you need a bit of top up. But often we're brought in when there's a little bit more of an acute issue.
0: I like this analogy as a physiotherapist. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to extend this a little bit. Um, please, are there any, let's say, top three different maladies or or holes in the skill set that you see that you would love to be able to help every startup with?
1: yes absolutely so i would say the top one that we see um and i've been seeing for 25 years in founders is the ability to let go so this is your baby that you're a founder you've created this from scratch maybe even in your basement or in the, you know in your, your university lab whatever this is your baby giving up that control it's never with necessarily or very rarely with negative intent that you don't want to give up the control or that, you, you know, but typically you just can't because you, a lot of uh, founders and entrepreneurs are driven, they're ambitious, typically a little bit on the controlling side, um, perfection perfectionist to some degree. And that's one of the hardest things to do is give up that control, whether that's to a co-founder or to a team member, board, whichever. So I think that's one of my first things that is, I find. Not everybody, but definitely, um, more often than not, um, another one would be communication. And that kind of goes with that. We, most entrepreneurs have all the great ideas in their head. How are they getting those ideas out to those around them who are actually there to support them, not necessarily effectively. So it may be, you know, short, succinct emails that you think are perfectly clear. It could be Slack messages that you're like, oh yeah, everybody will get that. No. So the methods of communication, understanding that your communication style and your co-founders or your leadership team or your team, that they're not the same, that's another breakdown that needs to be addressed from the very beginning because you just create so much um, negativity and toxicity if it's left too long. So I'd say that one. Um, Along the same lines as giving up the control, it's also knowing your limits. So I'd say that's my third probably typical injury, if you will. Um, knowing your limits, founders want to do it all. And that's great. And that is a sense of control, but there's some things they should never do. Just never. Don't be a marketer. If you've never done that, don't do the finance. If that's not your thing. I mean, there's basic things you can do at the beginning of your enterprise, but as you scale, you can't. So you have to hire a compliment. You have to bring on people to compliment you. And that's a really tricky thing for a lot of people to do. They like bringing on people they like. And it's like, oh, well, I like this guy. He feels like me. He's a junior person like me. He's a clone. That's great. That doesn't work. So so that it's that it's it's that stop doing things you shouldn't do and get the right people in to do them.
0: I want to drill down a little bit deeper on that one. And I'm going to ask you an impossible question. <laughs> but I'm curious to hear your perspective on it anyways. So okay. you mentioned kind of letting go, not doing the things that you're not good at. But you also said... That at the beginning, there's certain things that you're going to have to do if, you know, it's just you and your co-founder before you can get any resources in the door. How do you know when it is that you're ready to start giving up those things that really are not in your (laughs) wheelhouse? As I said, an impossible question.
1: It's impossible, but with coaching and with some reflection, it can actually become a much easier question to answer for a founder. So one of the tools I use is having people really do a bit of a, almost a semantic or gut check with every task that they have to do. If it's uh-huh. something they're excited by, great. If it's something that they're dreading or they realize they're not doing it well because you know it's taking them 10 times over to redo it or whatever, note that. So it can be difficult to figure it out, but it's most founders know where they're motivated and they know what drives their energy. They know what gets them excited. Uh, They may have been given the CEO title because that was expected by the investors or by the board or something, but they may be really an absolute rubbish CEO because they don't have that sort of executive aspect of it. They're probably, some people are, you know, their passion is in the R&D or in the product. And so they'll have the CEO title for a bit while they have to. And then maybe we'll advise them to shift that title over and they can be founder, CTO or some kind of chief science or something. But it takes some reflection.
0: I can, I, I can only imagine. I would love to be a fly on the wall on some of those conversations just to hear how they go. But that's beyond the purview <laughs> of this podcast amazed, and this episode.
1: You'd be amazed some founding CEOs, they will pick up, you know, put up a bit of a fight at the beginning, but uh-huh. then they realize you could see their shoulders drop and they're like, oh, OK, I don't actually have to do that BS. I don't want to do. OK, yeah, we're in. It's a fight at the beginning now, typically.
0: Let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about that, about the executive level. So you do some executive coaching with a fair few startups, mm-hmm. and what I'm curious I'm I'm curious about is what are some of the new demands that you're seeing on the C level startup executives?
1: I'm going to say the easy one. It's not easy at all in practice, but one that we're seeing more as changing is the fundraising aspect. The demands for fundraising are feel like they're from day one now versus only at certain stages um in my time i think you know there there was the always be fundraising type mentality but it was still a little bit you know here we'll go through three months you know get it done whatever and then we can kind of go back to our regularly scheduled programming in terms of what we want to be doing a lot of founders now are having spent most of their time fundraising and that is really challenging because they're not then doing what they love um, and that's not necessarily their expertise. And when you're you know, bootstrapped or you're, you know, smaller in a team, you can't really delegate fundraising. So I think that that's been a bit of a shift that I'm seeing on C-suite and the pressure is different. And then the other one, which does tie into the first, is the resilience piece. I think in 15, 20 years ago, founders, a lot of them were frankly, you know, stuck in a dark corner or basement uh, um, a lab somewhere, whatever, and they just got through it. Um, and they basically forgot about the rest of their lives um, for a long time. So they were working crazy number of hours. They weren't taking care of themselves health, health-wise. The burnout rate was insane. The burnout rate is still there, but people actually have are trying to have fuller lives, but they don't know how to do it. So we see a lot of resilience issues, but the light or the sunshine in that is that people are recognizing hey, I want to actually have a life. You know, I may have a partner, I may have children, I may have family nearby, I may have hobbies, and I want to actually enjoy those. So I'm not willing to burn out at, you know, my early years as a founder um, because all I've done is work. I also see a very positive, I mean, it's, it's still there. The resilience issue is massive and the burnout rate is huge. But I'm also seeing more and more investors and advisors checking in on that. So I see VCs and even private investors who are sort of saying, right, so what's your plan here? How are you keeping yourself sane? How much sleep are you getting? Like almost personal questions because they know that the value of their investment is going to be somewhat determined, or a lot determined on the mental, physical, and emotional health of the founder.
0: Um, here's a question for you uh, that is great for you because you have a very international perspective so uh, one thing that's wonderful about you that our our listeners must know is that you're Canadian like me Um, (laughs) but you live in the UK and have a lot of experience with that ecosystem also German and a couple other countries if I remember correctly what I'm what I'm curious about is do you see a difference in the expectations and the level of resilience between cultures?
1: To some degree, um, yes. So I would say that um, it's likely a little bit more vertical-based than it is cultural or geographical-based, but there is still some nuances in the geography. I did some work in Australia, and I still have a fair amount of connections in Australia. Um, And not to be stereotypical, but Australia does have a little bit you know, they're intense when needed, but they also um, celebrate much better, in my opinion, when the successes or even the failures of anybody in their, you know, startup ecosystem. So there's a little bit more of a, I wouldn't say it's a levity, but there's definitely more uh, of a balance there. Um, the In the UK, it's going to depend on the vertical a little bit more. So fintech is still a bit more intense, which again, a bit of a stereotype, but it's still there. Um, but then you have other sort of new technologies or new verticals coming in that um, are learning. They're learning from predecessors and they're kind of going, we're not going to be as as um, intense or we're not going to be as strict with ourselves with how we go. I think uh, Germany is probably a bit closer to the UK in some ways. There's still a bit more of a, um, there, there's a European mindset in terms of making things go. So there's still a little bit more of, Hey, we've got to work a lot more hours. I see that, but I'm also seeing, you know, rebels going in and changing that up. So it it all depends. You know, again, I hate sort of sticking with stereotypes in terms of uh, geographic or cultural stereotypes. Some things do fall into it. Um, and it depends where you are. Canada is, um, trying, well, I think without saying that they are, they're a light us in the sense of that intensity from Silicon Valley from 10 years ago or even five years ago. Um, that's not in Canada. It was Toronto and some of the other places were fairly intense, and they sort of learned, looked to their neighbors in the South and went, that's not working. So they've shifted. So there is a little bit more of, hey, let's get this down, but let's do it with support.
0: With the executive coaching that you're doing, staying on the topic of resilience, if you saw that somebody was approaching burnout or they were starting to show signs of it, how do you go about that? How, like, What is it that some startups can do to pull themselves back? I mean, how would you approach that problem?
1: We take a look at it, and I take a look at it uh, very carefully, because I am an executive coach, but I'm not a therapist. Um, and we are always, coaches are always very careful about where our boundaries are with this. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be there as a mutual support for whomever we're coaching, but we can also challenge them in a good way to um, move along to where they need to be. Um, I, I think because I've got a balance, and what Horizon does is we... We work on the people side and the leadership side, but we also have a really good market knowledge and, and we know the landscape. We can switch from coach to strategist um, fairly quickly as needed. So it could be I mean, on the remit with our in sounders where I could sit there and go, right, you, I'm seeing the edges frame here. This is not working. I'm going to take it about you right now. Let's figure out some personal strategies, but I'm going to put the other hat on as a strategist. Let's talk about the business. Because you frame means your business is framed. How do we, you know, so it may be multiple conversations, but we can create different plans. So it's not just going to be about the person, because we have a really deep insight into each of the customers. And so say, right, what can you delegate to your CFO? What can you do this here? How can we do this? Can we help facilitate a conversation with your board about your timeline or your deliveries? So there's ways that I work that will sort of, jump out of the coach spectrum at times, move into the mentor advisor spectrum, but it's all in service of not just the leader, but the startup. Um, so let's talk about another
0: one of your roles, because this is something that interests me, because I myself don't have a lot of experience with non-executive directorship. The and th- you are an NED on yep. a few different startups. And- First, can you go through a little bit about what a non-executive director is, what's expected of you, how you become one?
1: So what an NED is, is somebody who is not um, uh, not in an uh, executive role or, ne- let's say, a decision-making role in the company. Um, they're not necessarily on payroll. Um, we are there much more in an advisory capacity without always the legal or, or um liability standing that maybe an executive would be so you could have a ceo cto cfo cso whatever and then you're also going to have a layer of neds who offer depends on the company so in a lot of the ones i am um i'm a, a brick in a, on the people's side to help fill in that wall where they don't have the capacity to hire this time so startups don't need to hire a chief people officer anytime soon it's just not needed but the uh-huh. skill set's needed the advisor is needed So my role is typically to go in and do high level advisory to that leadership team and be an ear, be a shoulder in a way where they, there's not necessarily the same obligation. I have an obligation legally to make sure that I'm doing right for the company, but it's not the same liability as having a full resource, um, liability meaning cost and time of having that full resource. I typically meet with the companies that I advise possibly once a month or once a fortnight, depending on you know, where they are in different strategies. Uh, Compensation-wise, sometimes there's uh, a small fee involved. Sometimes it's equity. Um, It depends on your agreement. Um, Every company will have their own sort of legal agreement and there's templates out there all over the place. So most companies sort of understand. Sometimes I am asked to be involved by an investment team um, who sort of say, listen, we know there's a gap here. They're not at the stage where they're going to bring on somebody on the leadership side, so can you help out? And so that might be a shorter term engagement where I'm just helping them through a bit of a spot. And then sometimes it could be a year or two um, term. One of the reasons that I got involved is I needed to do, well, I wanted to really build up my uh, acumen of the ecosystem, especially in the UK. So I was doing this type of role in Canada and in the US, but I didn't, and Australia, but I didn't actually term it the same way. So by coming here, it was sort of a really great way to. Sort of get to know what the different ecosystem challenges were and how they were different. Um, how do I get these roles? Sometimes they come just come to me. There's also really brilliant networks out there where they do matching for you. So I happen to be part of a group called Connected, um, but there's a number of them out there where they, you know, companies will kind of put up an ad and say, "Hey, I need a non-executive director with this type of focus," and then you can reply, or vice versa, you can throw your profile up there and companies will contact you. Can you give us a little bit of an example, maybe one or two ex-
0: more specific, concrete examples of how you as an NED has, have, have helped a startup?
1: Uh, one of the companies that I support when they first got going, um, brilliant team, but they had no idea on the scaling aptitude for when it came to people. So they had both come, the two co-founders had come from large corporate, uh, large big five consulting actually, brilliant, brilliant people and they were like we we have no idea where to even start on 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 a people plan. So, you know, really, we took 3-4 hours. This was during COVID, so we took 3-4 hours over Zoom. Um and we drafted out a map for them. Um but I walked them through the steps as opposed to me being a consultant and then I can go off and do it and present it. I can do it with them so they're learning as they go.
0: This feels more mentorship coaching where instead of you are providing a service you're helping them to understand how it's, to provide the service for themselves eventually. That's sort correct. of the teach a person to fish um, sort but, of but, uh, sort of structure.
1: Absolutely. I think, I consider, this is my opinion, I consider NED much closer to mentoring and not necessarily coaching because coaching is typically very neutral and non-advisory at all. Coaching is, hey, I'll ask you a question. You figure out the answer yourself. I'll guide you through it a bit. Uh, mentoring is much more, hey, this is what I've done in the past. It could work for you. Um, consulting is just do what I say. So that's how I sort of define it. And any D is much more in the mentoring space. So I can be that ear or, you know, if they're to say, hey, I'm encountering this with my team, what do I do? I'm sort of that phone call, bat signal, whatever, to sort of talk them through it.
0: I like the idea of the bat symbol going up in the sky with a big <laughs> E in the middle of it. Um, this might be a a question a little bit out of left field. I'm I'm not sure Sure. if there's actually an answer for this, but I'm just curious. So whenever something new starts to happen in any sort of field, uh, you get a certain critical mass, you get kind of a science behind it so that there Mm -hmm. becomes almost a way that you can do it where it's prescribed. Is there that sort of thing emerging for mentoring startups?
1: Um, yes, I would say it's becoming the norm to ensure that as scale-ups or companies are scaling, that the idea of mentoring and the idea of this is actually built in, um, I see that as a huge positive. It's similar to the coaching and similar to, you know, if, if somebody can identify this stuff early and they can work through some of these things earlier, there's so much more power and, and frankly, their, you know, trajectory is going to be that much better. So for example you know, if a company in the past, an incubator program would be maybe focused really on the product of maybe the pitch deck. And, you know, a few years ago, it was really, you know, it it didn't involve the human side as much. Um, Now you're seeing incubator programs, accelerated programs, bring in more coaching, more leadership, more decision-making things. Like how do you talk to each other? How do you communicate? Um, All of those elements, the more human elements are being brought in much, much earlier. Um, And I am seeing the success from that because you're seeing, even when somebody does a pitch, they actually sound like a human. They're telling a story. There's passion as opposed to facts, figures, stats, you know, market value. So I think that it is happening quite a bit more with this idea of what I do is being introduced more and more. Um, I'd like to see it more. I think in terms of it being a model, I I don't know if it can be, I think there's elements that should be there, but it's going to be up to the, incubator, accelerator, sector, possibly even culture, on how that's done, if that makes sense. Um, my problem is if it becomes too formulaic, then you actually lose the humanity out of it. It
0: certainly is more prevalent, though, because almost every Absolutely. incubator, accelerator, or any multiplier organization that I've talked to, one of the things that they're putting out there usually is one of their, this is what we provide, it's access to mentorship.
1: And that mentorship is being a broad more you know broad in terms of its definition. and I'm seeing a lot more of that. Um, in the past, you wouldn't see people with my background, meaning the human resources leadership, um, that side of it. You wouldn't see that as uh, on the list of mentors comparatively. You would see the finance, you'd see the marketing, you'd see some more of the traditional fundraising um, product, you know, go to markets, whatever. You'd see more of that mentoring. Um, and now you're seeing more, uh, you know some of my type being added in. Uh, you know, probably disrupting the whole system, but I like it. So I I think it's a good thing.
0: I think I read in this fantastic book called The Founder's Dilemma that the the second reason why startups fail, aside from their business model doesn't work and they run out of money, is conflicts within the founder's team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It can really kill it. Uh, and it's not even just within the founder's team. You know, the, definitely, you, we say that all the time. And depending on how the founder's team got together, able will determine how you can fix that. But the conflict's also happening between any of the stakeholders, which means board, which means advisors, which means community, um, stakeholders, consumers. It doesn't matter. Um, it, it's, they're there and I, I see that killing businesses more than the business idea not working.
0: That's a good point. If your team isn't working, then it doesn't matter how good your product is, eventually Second. you're gonna fall off a cliff. Okay, let's um, let's pull our gaze back a little bit. And I want to take advantage of this international perspective that you have. Um, so the ecosystems that you have a view to, Switzerland, Germany, France, Canada, let's talk just broadly, if you can, give us an idea of how these different countries are tackling the problem of supporting startups.
1: Every region, and I'm saying region, not country, because there's, you know, these regions bleed. You know, the countries bleed into each other. Um, every region um, has maybe a bit of a different focus in terms of how they want to do it. Globally, almost every nation has sort of put some their hand up and either, you know, with their fingers crossed or not said, "We want to support entrepreneurship. We want to support startups." How they're actually doing that is vastly different in each. So I'll give you an example. Australia has thrown a lot of support and money. They have created massive initiatives, billions of dollars worth of initiatives. They don't have as much string, um, you know, strings tied to them to for entrepreneurs to be there. Um, they're not as strict in terms of what um, the product or the service is. You know, they're sort of like, hey, you know, here's a bonus for you to be an entrepreneur. That's one example. I mean, it's all evolving. Every government slightly different. And this, what I just said could change tomorrow. But that's the current reality there. Canada is doing something similar. Canada has made a very conscious on the federal and the provincial level to support entrepreneurship. They've tied some strings to them, depending on the industry and the sector, um, but there's still, there's, there's opportunity. Um, the UK was really, really open, throwing a lot of money, and there's a lot of really great groups supporting, so, and government-adjacent groups, if you want to call it that, who are doing some amazing work to support, and I, and I have the privilege of being a volunteer in some of them, um, but the government, there's been a lot of changes, especially in the last six months. Some of those are actually becoming easier. So the um, investment EIS is, is just upped its amount. That's brilliant. That's a huge, huge help. But then there's other things that have been sliced. So um, there was a group called Tech Nation and they've just been disbanded, if you will, sadly. Um, and the contract to the government has now been given to Barclays, which we haven't seen what they can do yet, so great. But there was a lot of amazing work being done for the ecosystem. That I'm worried will somehow dis- some of it will disappear. Not all of it, because the passion is there. So again, the UK is having different changes. It's mostly at the federal or what in Canada we call the federal level. Yeah, there's not a lot happening on the council or whichever. Um, in Germany and France, it, it's it's changing. It's um, so France has become sort of the top hotspot in the in Europe right now, or at least continental Europe, for investments. Um, Germany lost that top spot. So Germany was one of the top spots and it's the appetite of the government. So the government sort of saying, hey, our focus is on this maybe a little bit. So, um, you know, if you're in biotech in France, you you know, you're going to do better uh, or some of the other newer techs. Um, so like there's fashion tech, there's a few other things that are becoming a little bit kind of bigger. Germany is doing really, really well in saying like automotive or mobility, um, but some of the thing and fintech though, but some of the other ones, are gonna struggle a little bit more in my opinion because the government's shifted their focus slightly. So whatever the government sort of policies are for that year or even that quarter seem to shift. Um, And I think some are affected more than others. So as I said, some of these countries have put multi-year plans in and some of them are only doing annual plans and annual plans are, they're really tricky to navigate. So I think Germany is, Germany's doing well Um, but you're going to have, you're going to have to grasp a little bit more if you're not in one of the hot sectors right now. One of the things, one of the things I see though, that's happening in Germany is a perfect example of this is where the government, and I'm not saying the government's not doing anything. It's just, it's a different focus. Um, private industry is stepping in. So the innovation hubs that are partnering with universities or even creating their own hubs in, not even just in Berlin, but some, you know, everywhere, um, are massive,
0: yeah, I've been seeing this a lot too. When I go to events now, particularly here in Munich, because there are a lot of very large headquartered companies here, is there's almost always a large company that has their name as a sponsor yeah. on all of the advertisements. Yeah. So I, I imagine that this is a good thing, at least that there's an orientation towards startups and seeing what their value is and not just that traditional business needs to be supported, but a lot of different eyes are turning towards the startup community and seeing value there.
1: Uh, and I, I I, think that's really clearly evidence, this is probably mostly worldwide even, and even traditional companies like the banks are putting a lot more time and effort into entrepreneurship. Um, the big five consulting firm, almost all of them have some sort of innovation space built in now, probably through acquisition or multiple acquisitions, but it's there. Um, and they are, they're now sponsoring these events and doing things. There's also a lot more partnership in universities I think the startup community was a bit disparate um, and disconnected from the academic world for a long time. People were kind of either academic or they were you know, entrepreneurial, and there the two shall meet too much, um, except for a few you know, notorious people who left places like Harvard or wherever. Um, but I think that there's much more of a, hey, we need this in our world, um, as I, when the universities are saying that.
0: Exciting trends. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on those things to see how those trends develop over time. Uh, but for now, we're going to pull ourselves back and get to our last portion. Of course, win, lose, or draw. Are you ready All to play right. win, lose, or draw with me, Emily? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. The first one for you I have is win, lose, or draw, German startup mentors beginning to mentor outside of Germany if they haven't started already within the next five years.
1: Uh, win. Very emphatic win. Startups are global now. No startup should be declaring themselves as a German startup. Um, and so mentors have to be the same. Um, we are. We cannot play a game where we are too uh, narrow in our focus. And mentors, to be effective mentors, need to understand what's going on everywhere. So whether that's in their sector or, or vertical, but it can't be just geography. They've got to really expand. So I, I'm seeing it. Uh, I've been partnering with some German mentors already, and uh, I'm doing mentoring in Germany, even though I'm in the UK. So there's a lot of that cross-pollination, (laughs) cross-English channel. I don't know. We're doing a lot of that. So yes, that's a huge win.
0: Okay, a win for that. So the next one, uh, this might put you in a little bit of a box, but I'm still interested in your (laughs) answer. Win, lose, or draw, one of the startups you mentor, becoming either a unicorn
1: or even a decacorn. I'm going to say lose not because I don't have faith in the people that I'm supporting, they're all brilliant, but currently under my portfolio, I am supporting more um, service-based and steady necessity startups. So these are startups that are going to be the ones that you just need in your every day, but not necessarily the ones that are going to take over the world. Um, If they do get to towards Unicorn, it will be a long and steady race and likely there's a chance of acquisition before then. I like the
0: shift, though, that I see happening with startups where not everyone is saying we must do rocket ship growth at all costs because there's so much more value you can bring to real people than, you know, just building something that has to go to the moon. So there's there's a lot more of a difference you can make in people's lives with different business models.
1: There's some beautiful um, evolution in what an end game will look like for startups these days. So, I think even a few years ago, five years ago or so, everybody needed to have the big, massive, you know, unicorn status or whichever. That's not the case. Funding won't support that. The, you know, the the communities and the ecosystems aren't supporting that. Um, So, I think that there's more of an appetite for, you know, for absolute success, but for different exit or end strategies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Our last one. Win, lose, or draw, universities and colleges beginning to offer courses in either startup mentorship or non-executive directorship.
1: Hmm. And i with withdraw on that one. It is happening. It's not happening enough. I would say mentorship. So there's NED work, uh, NED courses out there. Um, Not not very few, or not very many, rather, are through any kind of formal university. There's two really great companies, but they're not necessarily through an academic setting, traditional academic, a few. Um, There needs to be more. I think it needs to be built in to um, an MBA program, or it needs to be built into some of these more advanced business programs, because that, you know, those are the people that if, depending where they go after their MBA, those are people who will make great um, NEDs and mentors, because typically you have a broad range of business acumen when you exit these programs. So in my opinion, it's a draw, you need to have a lot more. I've seen a bit of it, just not enough.
0: Yes. Okay. So thank you very much for playing win, Loser draw. And that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for providing this fantastically international perspective, but I, I think I learned the most about your mentorship perspective, your, your coaching perspective, what that kind of looks like, what that feels like, and, and where it's going. So this was really a good learning experience for me. So thank you very much for coming.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. And um, again, I look forward to hearing more about some of your other guests and keep continuing learning myself. That's what we all have to do. We We can't get stuck. So we have to keep learning.
0: Couldn't agree more. Then that'll bring us to the end of our episode. Thanks everybody for watching and listening and we'll see you next week. Thanks everyone for joining us this week. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel to get notified of all the videos that come out. And we'll see you again next week. Take care, everyone.